Welcome to Karate Cafe, your source for martial arts conversations since 2005. Karate Cafe is sponsored by Piranha Gear. Visit piranagear.com for all your martial arts equipment needs. And now, here's your hosts, Paul Wilson and Dan Williams. Hello again, everybody. It's Paul with Karate Cafe here with another great episode. We have a fantastic interview today. I am pretty darn excited about this. Uh, We're talking to author and martial artist Steve Perry. Yeah, that's right. I said Steve Perry. No, not that one. Uh, The author, the martial artist, the guy who wrote the Matador series, The Man Who Never Missed, one of the finest science fiction books and science fiction series that uh, I've personally read. And it's just chock-a-block full of martial arts. I read it many, many years ago when I was just a wee lad and uh, I was astounded by the amount of martial arts were, that were present in there. And sure enough, Steve Perry is a martial artist. He's been studying Silat for a very, very, very long time, as we'll get to in the interview. Uh, he's also studied other styles like Goju, uh, some other Okinawan styles, Kung Fu, Aikido, Kaju Kimbo. Uh, and he's just a, an all-around accomplished individual. On a lark, I emailed him, and he emailed back and said, sure, I'd love to be on the show. Uh, this is kind of a long episode. It's well over an hour long because we started talking. And as you know, once we start talking, we can't stop. Uh, and especially when we have somebody as uh, interesting as Steve and, uh, and as experienced as well. We talk about Silat. We talk about writing. We talk about martial arts. We talk about martial art organizations. We talk about rank structure. We talk about training. We talk about all the stuff that you would normally talk about with another martial artist. And he's a really cool writer. Uh, I really think you'll enjoy it. If you want to read some of his books, go to our store at karatecafe.com slash store. Uh, we put some of his uh, books up in there. You can click on that and help us out. And as always, you can go to karatecafe.com slash Amazon and buy all kinds of stuff, including his books. He has many other books. He's written Star Wars books. He's written Conan books. He's written books, you know, for Tom Clancy. We'd also like to thank you guys for all the feedback we've gotten on Choose Dan's Martial Art. Um, we pretty much landed on judo, and there'll be more about that in an upcoming episode. But if you'd like to buy your own judo gi, go to piranagear.com and buy it. Let them know that we sent you. Hey, that sounds like a good place for a break and a little information about the dojo manager. So we'll be right back with Steve Perry, author, martial artist, and, as it turned out, fantastic interview. Yeah, there's gotta be a better way to manage a dojo You think about it a lot and you don't know You try various things without any luck Online or off, you seem to get stuck We a dojo manager here to help you A simple tool to help manage your school The sign up is easy and not long The dojo manager.com We are martial artists for martial artists Helping you make your school go the farthest The sign up is easy and not long The dojo manager.com Come sign up today. Yeah. Okay, everyone, we are back. We're here with our fantastic interview that I personally am very excited about, talking with uh, martial artist and sometimes author Steve Perry, the author of the greatest series of (laughs) science fiction novels with martial arts in them that, that I've ever encountered, which, you know, is awesome, the Matador series. Steve, thank you for coming on Karate Cafe. It's my pleasure. Thanks. Uh, we've been trying to get it for a while, and uh, we've had some scheduling issues, but but now we are here. 
<laughs> let's get out of the way. We're here oh. and we're real and we're ready to roll. We are. We are ready to roll. Uh, Steve, let's uh, just get a, a quick bio because we've had authors on um, on the show before that have had some martial arts background, so we like to get that out of the way so everyone knows that you have street cred. Uh, sure. So can you just go ahead and detail your uh, martial arts background for us? Oh, gee, I started taking uh, Goju Karate in 1966. Uh, it's the first, it was actually the first style that I could find anywhere because I was in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. It was one karate school in town, and that was it. It was a judo <laughs> school and karate school. Back in the old days, if you wanted to study martial arts, you went to one of the coasts, east coast, west coast, because there wasn't much in the heartland in, in the south. Uh, we moved to Los Angeles. I studied uh, Okinawa Tei with Gordon Dover Solo for three years, got the brown belt. And then from then I was kind of a dojo bum. Wherever I was and whatever happened to be available, did some kung fu, did some tai chi, did some um, uh, kendo, kajukimbo, you know, this, that, and the other, whatever I could find, aikido, and then eventually uh, found my way into uh, salat, which, which although it sounds like something with peanut sauce, pukulan pinchak salat sarai is the, is the name of the whole system. And I've been there for, I guess, coming up 20 years. Um, we we don't have any rank, so I don't I don't have any rank in slot. I got a black belt a long time ago in something else, and I use it to to keep the little stairs at the foot of my bed so my dogs can come up and down. Uh, <laughs> that's that's what the black belt is useful for in my system. So what brought you into Sil- I mean, it sounds like silat was is sort of your your core or primary thing that martial arts that you studied. What what brought you to that? How did you find that? Well, it's kind of odd. Uh, I, I'm a science fiction guy, so I go to science fiction conventions, and there's a local convention. And uh, I've been running into Steve Barnes, who's also a writer and martial mm-hmm. artist for 35 years. And he usually does a Tai Chi demo uh, at, at sometime during the weekend at, at the science fiction conventions. So one year, you know, I was I've always usually go to his demo and watch and, and uh, play along. And so one year, 20 years ago, he instead of doing a demo, decided he would bring his teacher, who was teaching this stuff called Salat, to, to, to the convention. And I had heard about it before. I had people say, well, you should go check this guy in Vancouver. I'm going, yeah, yeah, sure. Some guy teaching his garage. I mean, how good can it be? And uh, so Those I was, are some of the best you know, guys. Yeah, so here was, here was Stephen Plink, you know, uh, uh, who's a world-class Salat teacher. Uh, he's, he's up there. He's one of the Detours boys. And he did this demonstration of the the real basic part of the salat, which it gets kind of you get into all the terminology and technology, but basically it's the it's the uh, the westerners version, the old man and, and cripples version of salat. Um, and I was astounded. I mean, I'm, I'm watching this stuff, think this guy could eat my lunch, you know, with one hand tied behind him, and went up, worked out, did some of the demonstration, and so I signed up uh, within. I don't know, 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, so, yes, I've been there since then. That's how I, I managed to get my way into this. So let me let me ask you something because we've, we've talked about this before. What was that – I mean, how hard was that moment? It sounded like you had a moment of disillusionment where, you know, you said, gee, I, I've been doing this for such a long time and now this guy can, like you said, eat my lunch. Was that was – that, a, a, a strange moment for you to say did it feel like you had just wasted your martial arts career no it, it what it did was it made me realize that it, it, most of the stuff that I took was uh, uh, 
Okinawan, Japanese, Chinese. I had, I'd never seen anything from Indonesia, so mm. that was that was a kind of revelation. The other thing was, I had a pretty good long-range game. I mean, it's a pretty good kicking game because we did a lot of kicking in most of the stuff. So I was comfortable with that. What was amazing to me here was, it was there was a lot of infighting. What happens if someone gets past your kick? Yeah, and and then what happens if you start grappling? Uh, I really had almost. I mean, I had taken Aikido for a while. Uh, but I had almost no grappling skills, and all of a sudden, here was this guy, you know, coming in, blowing past somebody's defense, and putting him on the ground. And I thought, well, this is this is saying this is this is something added to what I have. And of course, it supplanted what I had because, in in a, in a lot of ways, I thought it was more efficient. Um, it, it took a while to unlearn some of the defenses I had had for for most of the martial arts that I did. The attack came in, and you stepped back. You would take a step back block counter and and then right. respond right that's that's you know guy punches you step back block or you step a slant and block and all of a sudden this guy was not stepping back people were coming in and he was just walking right right into them and so i didn't know how to do that yeah uh, that's it wasn't as though i thought what i'd done was wasted it was just there's always something better out there it, and, yeah uh, we were this, discussing this is not an ultimate art by any manner means but it 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 called to me it's like wow Plus, I had been writing books, and, and one of the series of books I wrote, The Matadors, to which you kindly referred, um, uh, I, I made up a martial art. And this martial art was, I mean, it's made up, but it was a combination of things I'd <laughs> done. And, 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 and a whole lot of what I was watching this guy do was stuff that I had thought I had made up in this martial art. Oh, so and, you wrote Matador before you started studying this life? Yeah. Yeah, I actually uh-huh. wrote the first Matador books before I ever got into this a lot. And this guy was doing everything, and as I got further into it, I found more and more. There were patterns on the floor, which which Salat features. The the steel that they use in their blades is black, which which I had written about. So it's like, wow, this is like, it was waiting for me. And I just, how come <laughs> wow. I didn't know about this? Yeah, you know, uh, that's one of the things that we, we talked about earlier in the green room was, when uh, I discovered The Man Who Never Missed, the first novel, first excellent novel in the excellent series of Matador, uh, I got to tell our listeners, I'm a complete fanboy. This is, I'm, 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 I'm like giddy because <laughs> I love this series. And, and I just, you know, I, I read it, you know, a, a years ago. And, and when I first picked it up, I don't even know why I picked it up, but I read it and I was like, man, this has got a lot of great martial arts in it. And then, uh, you know, and I, and whoever I would, encounter that were martial artists that read science fiction i was like you should totally read this and then as the series went like i say that's when i was then i read your uh i think a write-up in the back of it that said you know you're studying salat and i'm like well wasn't he already studying salat because everything that i knew of salat was like that so i just had presumed that that's what i assumed too yeah Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people do it's like i reinvented the wheel uh, and was so so pleased with myself, and then I thought, well, people have been doing this for hundreds of years, and I didn't know about it. It's amazing the number of things that pass by every day that I didn't know about. Uh, and I mean, I've been reading martial, I've been reading Black Belt magazine since the thing came out. Uh, I had I had bumped into martial arts forever, and and Salat is a is a niche art. I mean, there aren't that many practitioners in this country. Well, and the well, first, first exposure I got to it, I think, was. Um, it was Bobby, it was Bobby Edmonds, Edmonds, who you know. Oh yeah, sure, Bobby. And um, uh, Chuck uh, Pippen, Charles oh, yeah. Pippen. Sure, both of those. Because because he, he knew Bobby Edmonds, and then uh, do you know Sean Stark? Oh yeah, sure. 
Uh, Sean Stark, uh, uh, yeah, a friend of mine, he's in Michigan now, but a friend of mine started studying with Sean Stark, uh, Sterling Hybeck. I don't know if you know him or not. Um, but then Sterling introduced me to Sean's work, and then I started doing, I didn't really, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm, I study a lot, but uh, a lot of the techniques that Chuck taught me uh, were very Salat based. Yeah. So it's, I call it, uh, there's, there's a lot of what I call stand-up grappling yes. in Salat. Yes. Um, which is, I think, a range that not a peop- not a lot of people. Th- I mean, the traditional ranges are kick, punch, trap, ground. Right. And people don't don't really think much about that stand up grappling place. I guess, I guess judo has a lot of that, but really, I, I don't think they consider it as separate. It's 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 more of a uh, vying for position than it is an actual stand up grapple. You know. Right. Right. Yeah, it, when people ask about Salat, they've never heard of it before, they say, well, so what does it look like? If they know anything about martial arts, I usually tell them, well, it looks kind of like, although it's not, it looks kind of like a combination of uh, Aikido, because uh, there's, there's, you know, there's wrestling and it's, it's, it's a lot of it stand-up and it's loose, yep. and, uh, and Wing Chun. Uh, there's a lot of close pounds. And, and no, it doesn't really look like that. But if you don't, if you know either one of those <laughs> arts, and, and I say that, it gives you something to visualize. Because it's, it, yeah. I used to be on on uh, a couple of uh, bulletin boards for people that eventually I got kicked off. Um, it's a lot of people usually get kicked off of martial arts bulletin boards because they're they're you know, mouthy, and uh, they would say, "Well, so give us a technique we can use. Show us something that we can put into our art." And I'd say, well, it's really kind of hard to cherry Not pick because the, the, the balance and stuff is, is such that if you don't have the basis, it's hard. I mean, you can show you a trick, and you might could make it work. But it's like anything else. If you're grounded in an art, then, you, then the tricks are easy. If you already know how to do something, then a video is really useful. If you, if you have no clue about, about how the, the balance and the stances and, and the, the philosophies work, then it's really hard to, to cherry pick something from a system where, well, if you don't know how to, 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 to if you don't know how to do the, the one point in Aikido, then Aikido is not going to do you much good. Yeah. And if you if you don't have some sort of basis in how the people in Salat move, I mean, it really is different. I spent probably the first three or four years I was doing it unlearning a lot of the stuff I had done before, because it it, it, it it's hard to study. You can study two styles of something at the same time uh, if they're different enough. I mean, if you're doing a wrestling art and a boxing, yeah. it's easy. You don't have a problem blending those together. If you're doing an art where yeah. the, the moves are the same or, or similar, I mean, a punch is a punch and a block is a block, but it, it, it's like going to a stick class, and, and I've been to these seminars before where someone says, no, you hold the stick this way. And the next guy you go to says, no, no, why would you hold a stick like this? You hold it this way. And it, the grip yeah. changes a little and the designs, and it's like, well, okay, it's your class. I'm going to do it the way you're showing me to do it. However... There's enough difference in there that it's it's really hard to to get into the subtleties of it, and it doesn't mean you have to be a master in order to do it, but it does mean that you you have to you have to go with the flow of whatever the system is you're in, or it's not going to work for you. Well, you know, I remember uh, Bobby telling me something, and I, I'm I'm sure I'm going to misquote him, and and maybe it wasn't even him. So sorry, Bobby, if you're listening <laughs> to this. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember him saying um, one of the one of the Salat techniques that he was showing me um, or showing us at one of the seminars was um, where you're in sort of a crazy off balance position uh, as far as your stance goes, and he said off 
off balance is only a problem if that's not your plan. Yeah. If if your plan is to be in this kind of awkward off balance position, but it's either a transition to something else, or it's a draw for your opponent, yeah. or you know, as long as you're doing it thoughtfully, then then it's just fine to do it. And I think Salat uses a lot of those kinds of things where you can't really say, well, well, show me a Salat stance. I mean, you can, but yeah. in, in the example that you're talking about of show me a technique, well, it's not like, um, you know, in uh, Wing Chun is kind of the art that I'm, I'm, I'm primarily engaged with right now. Uh, I can show you a, a, a Tan Sao or a Lap Sao. You know, yeah. it, it looks like a Tan Sao or a Lap Sao, but with Salat, it's really about the motion of the technique than it is about any particular stable these are how I position my hands and these are how I this is how I position my feet, you know? Yeah. So it's hard to explain to other people. It is. Yeah, you know, I find that because <clears throat> again, one of the reasons what uh, I've I have not actually studied a lot, but I've Played with people who do who do a lot. But you played one on TV. But I played yes. one on TV <laughs> and on the internet, um, and uh, and 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 you know watch videos and whatnot. And so the the um, the concepts that that I find in Salat uh, apply really well to to our system. You know, it's it's Okinawan karate, but it, it every time I I look at a, a concept, it's like, oh, that's kind of the concept that we do, you know, or a, a takeover. And I have become over the years. Uh, it before I was instructing, I was starting to become a little more like yeah, loosey goosey of like I was letting the the, the motion happen, and mm-hmm. and and kind of flowing naturally with whatever, you know, that's where my body ended up and stuff like that. Now that I'm instructing and I'm instructing my system, I'm still very like you know your hand kind of needs to be here because this will work, yeah. you know, but this will work really good if you can get it there, but yeah. you know this will still work. So you know, <laughs> do a big circle and then you know go for the small circle later. Sure. Said, but you know, as long as you're 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 moving correctly and and positioning your body correctly and, and or putting their body correctly, you know, it'll work. It's fine. But then, well, but then, as the as the instructor, I've got to be like, but you've got to be you know, this tight. You know, you've got to be right here. Yeah, yeah. But sure. it's okay. It, well, the other thing is, and and this is this is this is sometimes hard to quantify to people who haven't done it. Is slot is based on the, at least our version, and this is the other thing you have to realize. And I'm stepping away in a way. Uh, uh, it's these are village arts, and each village in Indonesia had its own version of salat. And some of them yeah. look similar, and some of them look wildly different. It's a big tent, uh, but most of them are based on the blade. For the experience that most of the salat that you're going to see in this country is going to be unarmed uh, because that's what you show. But almost everything we do, you can do with a knife in your hand, or a sword, or a machete, or you know, a staff, or you know, you and, can put and, a weapon in your hand. And there's a lot of blade work, so. If you learn to do a basic form in Salat and you put a knife in your hand, it works the same way. Pretty much you've got to And that's – my understanding <clears throat> is that's because it's, it's, it was, it's truly a military art. I mean the, the idea is, is that you're, you're running at your enemy with at least a blade in your hand. Yes. You, you would never start a war empty-handed. <laughs> well, it, 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 there's a, a philosophical point I, I always liked, you know, that – that why would you hit somebody and, and risk hurting your hand so that you can't go out and work and feed your family when you can stab them? Um, I mean, it, you don't you don't pull this stuff out unless it's serious endeavor. And this is the other thing that a lot of the martial arts I was involved in, um, 
they have become civilized due to the nature of training. And if you break your toys, then you can't play anymore. So if you go to class and you're wailing on somebody to the point where they're being seriously damaged or you're being seriously damaged, then you don't get to go to class next week. So yeah. by the nature of what, what I, I, and I don't know if it's true or not, but the theory was judo took a lot of the stuff that was in jiu-jitsu and put it off to one side so they could teach a systemized version of the art and, and not beat each other to death. Uh, a lot of what the, the, the MMA guys talk about is that you can roll with somebody at full strength and power without killing them. Uh, so I think part of what happens is this stuff came out of the jungle, you know, 60 or 80 years ago. And up until that point, it was you didn't pull this out unless you were in serious problems. It wasn't something you did for for sport as much as it was, you know, you're about to die. Best you have something mm-hmm. available. So part of the aspect of it is, you know, when I do a Tai Chi form, you know, the, the Yang style form is beautiful to watch and it, it's very powerful. It's a lot more powerful than people realize uh, because it's, you can speed that stuff up and it does something different. But it it has been, been done for thousands of years and they've, they've gotten it down to a point, some of these arts, where they're pretty smooth, but they're also more of, of, a, of a, it's the Japanese away than a doe. Uh, it's, it's more of a... a um, uh, stylized like like archery it, it, it's become much more stylized than than the street art and that's sort of the nature of the evolution of these things uh, yeah I, I think so well and I think it's the it's the kind of the evolution of moving into a, a modern world as well I mean I I genuinely on you know my daily routine does not include going into dangerous places and so I mean, since Michigan. <laughs> yeah, it's always dangerous, especially when it's cold. Um, but uh, but my biggest danger is slipping on the ice, not getting beat up by somebody. I mean, obviously there are different neighborhoods in Grand Rapids, but um, so judo might be the ones you. that I frequent. Yeah, judo. That's right. I don't even have to. It's a no touch knockout. Well, just, just people slip on most ice. Most serious, long time martial artists that I know have come to terms with the reality in such a way they're much more likely to be hurt in class than they are yeah. in the local bar. You know, one of the things you learn. I don't know if you know Rory Miller's work, but he, oh, yeah. you know, he, you know, he, he's a an ex deputy, a military guy. And he he gets down to the nitty gritty in, in 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 terms of what street violence is. It's like if you don't go places where there are a lot of young men drinking beer, then you you right away you avoid a lot of problems. <laughs> you, you get this little testosterone thing. It's like, yeah, I'm I'm 67 years old. I'm not gonna go down to the local bar and close it down on Friday night. That's just not gonna happen. Right. So a lot of the stuff that's useful for an old guy is not necessarily going to be the same thing as useful for a young guy who's going to go out and party. Well, you know, I've my little tagline, I guess, for my uh, for my dojo is it's uh, practical self defense for the everyday world. Yes, and and I have my little bugaboos like when I because you know everyone's like. It's blah, blah, blah. For the street. It's street taekwondo. Street. It's street Extreme. tai chi. It's street yeah. this. <laughs> I train for the street. I'm street, 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 street. I live in yeah. a cul-de-sac. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> I live in the burbs. I commute. And then I, you know, it, it's, it's... You should you should call it real karate for the cul-de-sac. I do. I, I, I say, when, instead of saying, I, instead of saying oh, when you're in the street, I always say, well, okay, on the cul-de-sac, if, you know, Biff, yeah. your next-door yeah. neighbor, gets upset with the way you've mowed your grass, yes. then you can do whatever. But, I mean, when I was in the Navy, you know... I traveled all over the place, and I was a young man drinking beer and many other things, and I, <laughs> and I never got into a fight. Yeah. 
I mean, I always travel with my, you know, guys on my boat and whatnot, and 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 I would already trained in martial arts before then, so I kind of had a self defense mentality. But the uh, <clears throat> when I hear all these people talk about how you know deadly the street is and how you know horrible things are happening all the time, I go, no, it's not. You know, if if you end up putting yeah. yourself in that situation, yeah, it will. You know, so well, and the thing is, is that if you're if you're living your life like a thug. Um, and, and, and you're, I mean, there are genuinely, I, I remember I took, I took classes, uh, when I, when I lived in Detroit and it was, it was by one of the projects and a lot of the kids there were, you know, for sure in harm's way on, you know, if not a daily basis, a relatively frequent basis. And the art that, that, that my instructor taught there was, uh, Hapkido. And uh, a bit of Taekwondo. Of course, this was back in the 80s. Um, and he also taught, actually, the first pass he did was he taught kickboxing. And he taught the basic kickboxing techniques and then kind of went from there because he felt like that was going to give people the most bang for their buck. And in a practical sense, those people were living in a dangerous environment. So that kind of makes sense. But I really think that a lot of these, uh, you know, a lot of the, the, the backyard dojo buster bullshito kind of guys are they 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 rant and rave about martial arts not being practical when it's not practical to train in martial arts really well, well you know the, <laughs> i mean i should have i should have learned how how to maintain my car rather than martial exactly, arts that you know if if it's the whole question well what would you do if you knew this was going to happen well i wouldn't go you know right. if, if i if i knew there was a guy going to jump out of the you know six ninja were going to jump out of the bushes what, if guy? Guy, what would you do well i'd be at home you know, yeah. I'd be carrying my shotgun. I mean, it, it, there's a classic rejoinder that I used to use all the time. It says, so what is your defense against a 12-gauge shotgun at 20 feet? Well, I don't have a technique for that. Uh, my technique is to be somewhere else when the, 20, when the shotgun comes out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. D- don't and, initiate the 20-gauge, right? Yeah. It's, I mean, the, the, the nature of, of – you know, and I get this a lot, too. You know, well, what are you doing street bonds? Well, if, if, if that happens, if you see this coming, if this is going on – there's all sorts of things, but I didn't get into. I mean, my my worry about getting beat up went away a long time ago. Uh, what what I've been studying this art for all this time for was not so much to become the deadly master, is to master an art which I had never done before. I had been in arts for two or three years and then moved on, and I wanted some depth. It had little to do with being able to to knock people around the street, although. I could see that this certainly had its uses and, and some that I didn't know. But, but the notion was I didn't really want to be you know, the deadliest guy on the block because that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to go places where I needed to do this yeah. stuff. Well, you know, that, that's an important point that, that we've talked about uh, before in the show was that um, I, I think that a lot of people, like, especially now and maybe in the last like five or ten years, especially with MMA coming up and, and all that, are, are people you know, arguably did not have a depth in their system. Because, you know, there are a lot of karate guys that, you know, they're, when people start going on the ground, they're freaked out because yeah. their system didn't have that. And then, but if, and then, then you know, like the, the, we've talked about it on the show before. If you listen to any of our shows, we talked about like martial hipsters. You know, yeah. these guys are like yeah. rediscover or discover this hidden thing in their art. It's like, no, yeah. you just didn't see it because yeah. maybe your instructor didn't right. know about it. And then maybe his instructor didn't know about it. But the guy who taught them 
knew it, but didn't think it was that great, so he didn't put it in. But if yeah, you go like back a few it's generations... It's like Columbus discovering America. It, yeah, it was yeah, always like there. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, or, you know, or like somebody like sailing to America and going like, look, I discovered America. There's the Statue uh, yeah. of Liberty. No, it was already there. You just <laughs> didn't know it was there. Yeah. So and then they get really mad and they quit their art or you know they they switch over to some different style that's more hardcore, or they get crazy and start saying like oh I've discovered these ancient hardcore techniques that uh, and they kind of <laughs> you know they kind of run off a little bit and you it, know they like, I've, I've been in this stuff for, for almost fifty years and this is has, has always been this way. There's always some new secret. Uh, unbeatable art that comes out of the jungles of fill-in-the-blank the whatever country that you want to use that is so much better than anything else. And, I mean, Black Belt Magazine used to run these two-page ads for, you know, if you watch this video, you know, a little old lady can watch this video and go in and clean out the local biker bar. Um, And you go, really? And it makes these people rich because everybody's always looking for the magic the magic system, the magic word, the the this is going to be the one. This is the ultimate, and you know it's like it, I, I don't know if you ever read the Destroyer books. When I was a kid, I used to read these. Oh yeah, man, the, the, the Warren and Murphy books, and you know Sh- Sh- Shinanju, the the ultimate art. Everything was you could fly. That's, that's, that's right. Shinanju. Glad you know, it was the sun source that's of all the martial arts. arts. Looking for you know they want master Chu. I mean, these. Yeah, and it's because because people are always the grass is always greener. They're always thinking there's something out there that's better, and we we see it all the time amongst our own players. I have I have slot people from different styles say we should come study this. Well, why would I want to do that? I have I'm perfectly happy where I'm. Yeah, but this is better, really. Well, how is it better? Well, because uh, <laughs> my truck, yeah yeah it's, my it's lineage, more street lethal. Yeah <laughs> yeah, it always goes back to so funny. Well, you know, uh, it's so hilarious. So, so speaking of, uh, of politics, because I, I was reading your blog, your martial art blog, uh, uh, a week or so ago, and uh, you were commenting on, uh, talking about the, the bulletin boards and all that craziness, about how when uh, Paul de Tours died, and I guess there was a vacuum and then there was a hole. And I, as I read that, I just said, like, that's that's like every karate federation yep. when the big guy dies and, and all yep. that. And it seemed like it being a smaller community – that wouldn't happen, but apparently it still does. Yeah. No, no, it's it's uh, one of the jokes in, in in our system. You know, has to do with the water in Indonesia making everybody insane because because all of the all, it, 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 I've been in a lot of different arts and the politics is always there, but it's worse in Salat than anything, and it's because everybody's related and everybody knows everybody, and so. This brother hates that brother, and then he likes him, and then he doesn't like him. And, and, and one of the running jokes, I think Mushtaq Ali's uh, comment was, you know, you're nobody until you've been thrown out of your own system. Uh, <laughs> and it's, it's you know, you, you just, it pretty much all of the major Salat players that I know have been thrown out of whatever system they were in. Uh, you know, did, did, oh, yeah, this is my fair-haired boy. This guy has studied with me for 15 years. He knows everything. That's now. Next week it's him. Oh, yeah, he took a few classes. He didn't really learn much of anything. He's got nothing. Well, what happened between last week and this week? Um, you, can, you, can, you can take away somebody's diploma. You can take away somebody's paper and say, okay, you know, you don't, you don't, you're not – you're no longer supported by our organization, but you can't take away what they've learned. And so, yeah, at some point, the the senior instructors in Salat, something happens, and and all of a sudden, the guy who was going to be their lineage holder is gone. He just he's no longer there. Um, 
sometimes he leaves voluntarily, sometimes he's booted out, and it's just after a while, it, you, you know, you you can drive you crazy if you try and keep up with all this stuff. And and I used to be a great keyboard warrior. I'd get online and we'd have these long ah. these guys that were supposed to be, you know, the really top of the line. And at some point, you just realize, you know, you're wasting your time trying yeah. to convince people of all this stuff. Uh, my teacher, uh, the terms we use for for teachers are guru. Uh, a Mahaguru, or in, in, the, in the case of the guy who creates the system, Pindekar. And these are, these are how they refer to, you know, there's the guru or the Mahaguru, the, the great teacher, the teacher of teachers, and then there's all the rest of us, and we're all students. You know, we don't have any rank in my system. There's the teacher, and there's all the rest of us. So you could be studying for two years or 20 years, and, and you're at the same level rank-wise as somebody else. Which makes it quite fun when someone comes in and says, "Well, what's your rank?" Well, I don't have any rank. I'm just an old guy. You you want to play? And you know, and it's also great fun when I'm arguing with somebody online. I can say, "Well, you know, I'll I'll pop off. I'll say something. I'll say, so what? What happens? So we get in a match and you beat me. What's that? You beat an old man who has no rank. Who's not a guru? Who's not a teacher? And if I beat you, you got beat by an old man who has no rank and no teacher. This is a no-win situation for you." <laughs> You know, let me ask you about the the ranking because I'm curious. I've I've always sort of been um, I've waffled on it. I've I've done a lot of uh, uh, garage martial arts and yeah. and I've waffled on on the the idea of rank versus no rank. And I think I've eventually landed on the idea of rank only because I think I think having um, some structure of a a system of goals that the student can achieve and surpass and achieve and surpass and it, oh, sure. it's sort of it, it uh, for lack of a better term it gamifies the martial arts system oh and no so, i absolutely agree i think the, the reason ranking came into being as i understand it is judo and it's because suddenly you went from having a bunch of people yeah. in their garage or somebody's backyard to hundreds of people showing up at a class and the problem is, is how do you know who knows what how do you keep them straight if if it's if it's the garage and there's nine guys and they all know each other, and they all grew up to each other. You don't need rank because everybody knows who's better or who's worse. Or There's who's no better. student instructors or anything exactly. like that. If you have you have 200 people show up for a class, what do I teach? I mean, you teach a white belt or a beginner differently than you teach somebody who's been doing it for years and has this knowledge. Yes. And and it's and the ranks don't. The problem is the ranks don't correlate. I, when I was in Okinawa Tay, uh, we were slow to get the black belt. Average black belt there was about five to six years. Mm-hmm. Um, so we would be sparring, and we sparred pretty hard, and guys would come in off of the street to play with us, and they'd be Taekwondo or, or JKA people who had black belts, and they had gotten it in two years. And so your two-year black belt is coming in and going up against a four-year green belt. Right. And it's like, well, those belt colors don't mean anything because they're from different systems. But within a system, yeah, I, I think it's perfectly valid to have rank if you have more than a handful. I, mean, I know all of the... the, the Salat Sarab players personally, <laughs> and, <laughs> and so you know this. That I'm not likely to run into anybody that that I don't have some idea what they're capable of doing in my system. But outside that, yeah, it's you know there's only literally a, a handful of us who show up at every class at in Vancouver. Um, but you know if if you're going to a gathering and you have a room with 300 people and if you don't have some methods of identifying what they know. I mean, how do you how do you proceed? Yeah. Well, yeah, we have that uh, a, a few times. Our, our federation has seemingly over the last I don't know, ten or fifteen years kind of blown up. There's a lot of people in there, and yeah. we used to have a certain amount of black belts, you know, and then a certain amount of like fourth degrees, and a certain amount you know, like two fifth degrees, you know. Yeah. 
And, and it was it, everyone kind of knew everyone's rank, you know. Yeah. And then we got a whole bunch of people that kind of moved up to to black belt, and you know, then it started getting a little crowded. And you know, so like I would line up, and just I'd just stand wherever I'd stand because from third degree back, it, it, you you line up in rank, but I mean, just everyone is kind of. First degree, second degree, third degree, all are all kind of mishmashed, but they do it according to rank. But, <clears throat> I mean, there would be people who, uh, I remember one of my friends, he was looking all mad at a seminar. I said, what happened? He goes, some dude actually asked me about my rank. And I'm like, what do you mean? He said, I, I, I was standing in line. And he said, well, I think you're supposed to stand to the other side of me. Uh, <laughs> and he's like, what do you mean? Yeah. He goes, well, what rank are you? And he goes, yeah, and he happened to be like a third degree. And he goes, well, I'm a third degree. He goes, what month did you get it? <laughs> <laughs> And, and and he just like I'm out, and he went and stand and stood at the very end of the last black belt in line. He's like, you know, I don't need this. Yeah. And and we were all like, point him out. Who who said that? Because it was some like young Shodan or Nidan or whatever, you know. And and it's like, does it matter? I mean, you know. And of course, you know, I'm a fourth degree now, so I get my own line, you know, with with my own people. But it's it's hearing all that. It's like, and now so we have a, a line of fourth degrees where we all got promoted basically right around the same point. And there's one guy who got promoted a month or two after me. And so if you stand to the right, you know, you're senior. And so right. sometimes we'll just switch just to kind of confuse people. Yeah. You know, because yep. we, we really don't care. I mean, I don't care. But <clears throat> it's it, when it gets into that point, it's like, well, it, that guy can totally kick your butt. So it really doesn't matter. But, you know, you're, <laughs> all, you're all learning the same stuff. So it doesn't. Yeah. we're lining up. To bow into class, it's, you know, it's a tool just like any other tool that the that the instructor and the school and and the other students can use. Like I know that for me, if if I'm of a lower ranking and I'm unfamiliar with, you know, if I'm new to the school or something like that, if I've got a question, I see somebody wearing a a, a darker color, <laughs> and I know that I can go to them and ask a question, um, and and that's that's beneficial. But well, there's there's a there's a there's a whole thing that goes on in in unstructured class. Like we have we have people there that have been there. There, I think two people have been there as long as I have in this particular class, uh, six or eight months, one way or the other. Uh, and there are a lot of people that have only been there for four or five years. But some of them are really adept, and they have things that I haven't looked at in a while. And they've gone and taken a class, some you know, a private class, and they come back and they say, "Well, look at this." And I'm going, you know, I haven't seen that in ten years. Show it to me. Well, I don't have a problem asking someone who who has less time in grade to show me something that I don't know. I mean, why would I care? Yeah, uh, it, you learn from everybody. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and the other thing is, you realize very quickly, and you, I'm sure both of you realize this is once you become a teacher, you learn a way lot more teaching than you do yeah. as a student oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. now you have to really know how to do it in order to tell somebody else. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Or you know, I don't know how many times I've been explaining something and going like, "Oh, that's yep. how that works," you know, or or just did it. There's there's a technique, one of our uh, uh, 2D you know joint locking techniques that it's a fairly simple one. But I really only got it to work maybe in the last six or seven years, basically since I, st- I had to teach it to somebody. <laughs> and, yep. and so I'm doing it a lot and whatever, and I'm like, and, and it's, you know, it's a pressure point kind of thing and whatnot. And, and, and they're like, I can't get it. And I'm like, take heart. I've been doing yep. this for 20 some odd years, and I just right. got it a few years ago. So I, I, like, I like to use the term, the, the, the spiral of knowledge. You, you go around uh, the core of what you're learning in, in a spiral, and you're going up, or sometimes you're going down. But every time you come around, the, past the same 
technique to point again, you're at a slightly different angle, slightly different height, a slightly different uh, distance than you were the last time you went through it. And oh, I have a whole bunch of those, those, uh, those epiphany moments where you come around and go, oh, right, that's what that means. Well, that's what it means now. A year from now, it might not mean that, but, but it's different than what it was a year ago. And, and over and over again, what I find is like, I've been doing this technique for X number of years. I've done it you know, 10,000 times. And all of a sudden, the heavens open and a beam shoots down and goes, oh, wait, I can use this. I can do this with it. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, that I, I sometimes people say, well, why are you still studying this art? I mean, don't you know enough to get by? Oh, right. sure. Have you learned it all? Yeah, yeah, the basics is all you're going to use anyway. When it gets right, right down to push, come to shove, you're going to go back to the stuff you learned the first two weeks you were there because that's the stuff that's easiest to do and that's the stuff that works. Right. Um, if if your adrenaline's running, you know, you, you've seen all those videos of the of the cop who jumps out for a, a stop on the highway and somebody pulls a gun oh, yeah. and he pulls a gun and they're 15 feet away and he shoots 15 times and he misses him every time. That's because whatever training he had with that gun, you have to allow for the adrenaline rush. And and what happens when you're, what happens to me? And I've, I've talked about this in some of the books that I've written. If you could get to the place where you truly were fearless, you you really didn't feel that adrenaline rush. Your technique would be different <laughs> than it is if you're you're rattled, if your if your hormones are pumping. And so if it doesn't kick in the fear factor, it's like you no, know, he's not really afraid. He's going to be killed here. He's going to move differently than if he's panicked and he's tight and his 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 hormones are running. So it's. Over and over again, what I find is is that you come around to a spot like I never looked at it quite that way before, and so that's why I keep going. My teacher keeps coming up with stuff. He uh, uh, this and this is just an aside. Uh, we we've been doing these forms a certain way for forever, and and one day he got to looking at pictures of his old teachers, the teachers' teachers, the guys from you know from the from the fifty or eighty years ago, and he's looking at the way the guy's standing, and he's saying. How did he get to that stance? That's not something we do. And so he retro-engineered it. He went back and figured out, okay, in order for him to be doing that in that photograph, this is what he had to do. And he thought, well, what can we do with that? And so he goes down a whole road where he explores a way of moving that he didn't really think of before because he hadn't, he hadn't figured out how that guy got in it just, just based on a photograph. So I find that kind of stuff amazing. No, did no, see, what he did was he rediscovered a, an ancient yeah. art that nobody else knew. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was always... That's right. It, just, it was more street lethal. That's right. so it's like, well, you know, we can add this to what we have, and, yeah, and that's what... And you bump into somebody, somebody comes in, and they show you a technique, and you go, well, you know, we got something similar to that, and this is maybe this is how this works. Um, it, slot is great on theft. We, we're cheaters and we're thieves. We, we, you know, you can't say you cheated in a salon class because it's expected that you will. Oh, look over there. Bang. Um, it, you can't say. That's one of the that. most important things I, I learned from Chuck, actually, was, and, and from Bobby for that matter, is the, the way to win a knife fight is to bring a gun. Yes. Um, and, <laughs> and, and you're right. Yeah, there's, there's no such thing as cheating. I mean, if, if you say, well, well let's, let's go around back and, and have a fight, well, I'll just get in my car and hit you with my car. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I call that <laughs> car food. Wait, don't wait for me. <laughs> it, and, and the other thing is, 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 I mean, you know, we do a lot, like you said, we do a lot of draws. You stay in a position that like, this guy's going to fall over. I can just knock him down. Well, okay, good. Uh, that's, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of, of, of duplicitous in, in this. And in, in thievery, I mean, all of the martial arts that, I, that, that I've seen that work, that have any, any semblance of, of work at all. It's like, if somebody comes in with something you haven't seen before, you need to figure out a way to deal with it. 
if you're only fighting the guys in your system, eventually what happens is you can only beat the guys in your system because yeah. – you know, you you never. I never saw anybody jump up in the air and cluck like a chicken before. Before they attacked, it. what do I do now? And mm-hmm. and so so when you go back into into Indonesia, you know, there were a lot of martial arts. There were Chinese, there were Kuntao, there was there were all these people that were coming together from all over who who popped up there. And if you saw somebody do something that you didn't have an answer for, you figured it out. Um, well, you know, I, I, you know, we, we, we're not, we're in fighters. We don't do this long distance stuff. Or there's a, if you watch the Haramu people, the, the guys that drop down on all fours like tigers. Yeah. And, that's scary. I mean, like, it's like, if, if you, like Capiero, if, if you suddenly, you guy, guy doing somersaults and flips, you've never seen that before. There might be a moment there where you're going, what do I do now? And I run while he's in the air spinning. I, yeah, I, exactly. I remember one of my, one of my strangest moments was when, uh, I was, I was in my Hapkido class and I was, I was just a teenager and, um, I was a green belt and I was sparring <laughs> with, I think a yellow belt or something like that. And, um, she came at me just windmilling her arms, yep. and it freaked me out so bad yep. that I just, I just didn't know what to do, and it, that, I, I, I still remember that moment because it was so just like, okay, this person who came at me with a totally weird and untrained technique of just this arm windmill yep. just kind of shut me down all of a sudden. You, you, you want to and, see something? Yeah. It, it, you want to see and, something interesting? Give somebody a marks a lot pen. Put on an all white T shirt. Give them a marks a lot pen, and 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 tell them to come at you any way they want, as fast and furious as they want, and see how many times they can mark you before you you stop them, and and then and then change that marks a lot pen into a knife. You know, you put a knife in someone who really has not a lot of training with weapons. And say, okay, just use it like he would boxing. Just punch with the knife in your hand. And all of a sudden, you're dealing with something maybe you hadn't seen before. One of one of my favorite war stories is that we had a guy who was a Kajikimbo guy who was training with us. And he was really high-ranked in Kajikimbo. He was fifth or seventh, sixth stand, way up there, uh, and teaching knife defenses. And some of the guys from his school went out one night partying, uh, black belts that he knew, went to a local place, got into a hassle with some local kids, and the local kids pulled knives and started after him. Well, they did the smart thing. They ran. Uh, and they got back to their car, but one of the guys got caught, got stabbed, and got killed. And so uh-huh. this guy that, that we knew basically said, well, you know, he knows all the knife defenses. What happened there? Why, why didn't they? So he goes to class. He gets another couple of black belts that he knows. He says, okay. Come at me with a knife, and, and all bets are off. I mean, full power, full strength, come at me, and, and, and you really try and stab me. It's like those videos you see on YouTube of somebody with a knife getting stabbed in a subway station. It's not like two guys squared off, okay, I'm ready for you, come in. And he said, I tried to stop this guy, and every time I got killed. He said, you know, he, he said that, was, that was really an eye-opening moment. The knife defenses that I was teaching would not work against somebody who was doing this kind of stuff. I think, so I stopped teaching them. I think that's what makes the Piper guys so so terrifying, oh, yeah. really, is yeah, because the the Piper the Piper stuff that I've seen, I just I I can't imagine any defense for them other than you know not being there for the fight because that stuff is so you know it's it's jackhammer techniques it's slicing your hands it's small pricks all over your body i i just i i personally think um unarmed defense against a knife 
uh, is it, the important part to teach of that is survival. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. You're, yeah, you're, yeah. I don't know if you're going to beat – I don't think you're ever going to beat the guy. You're just going to survive. That's, well, that's, you know, that's one of the things that I've, I talked to – I got into a little bit of a beef with some, some other karate guys a while you? back. What? <laughs> <laughs> karate guys hate me because I believe in context and you know perspective. Uh-huh. So, and and, and – they were saying something about, um, well, your art needs to be – it was something like your your art needs to be deadly or whatever, and and the guy was like, yeah. "Well, absolutely, my art was founded on deadly killers, super whammonine techniques." Sure. And I was and I said, "Really? So how do they train with one another? Because yeah, they all be dead. If, now. If, if every <laughs> technique is supposed to break an arm or kill yeah. somebody, that class is going to be pretty small. And in Okinawa, it was like one or two people in a class, so yeah." Yeah. You know, turnover churn was gonna be hard, and and he, this guy got kind of bent out of shape that I would dare think that like you know maybe your art isn't entirely based like like every technique is not a deadly technique, yeah. you know because yeah. again you can't teach a deadly technique every time and and there was you know a keyboard battle you know back and forth and I was like I'm just you know a little perspective of the thing well, and then the guy who ran the board was like I think you guys are kind of saying both the same things I said I'm just you know, uh, you know, given that, yeah, because I, I guess my point on that was like, as martial artists, many people in the martial arts want to think that they've got the best Kool Aid, you know, and it's like it's got to be the punch, most deadly, kill, right? Mm-hmm. Because in their head, it's got to be the most deadly, or otherwise they've wasted their time, and that's yep, why yeah. a bunch yep. of Taekwondo guys, I love you Taekwondo guys, end up like going into Krav Maga because the first time a 730 degree axe kick yeah. doesn't work. Then they're like, that their, art was their minds useless. are useless. I need to go find this thing that's 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 even better. It's like, well, no, that might have worked, but in context, yeah, it probably won't. So I've got a question. You know, you you talked about earlier, like how how your martial arts have, or I guess sort of how your attitude towards martial arts and self defense and things like that have changed. Um, I'm wondering if. Your the characters in your books and the way you write fight scenes and things like that. I'm wondering if that's changed as well. Oh yeah, I think it's it's natural. There's a natural evolution there. Uh, first off, uh, I'm older than I was when I started writing uh, books, and so one of the things you learn very quickly is as you age, you learn to fight smarter and not harder. Uh, the so so even though my characters in the books are generally younger than I am, they have aged to the point where they're. I mean. In in the probably the most recent of the Matador books to be published, um, the the it, it's an origin story. It goes back to where how the art was created, and the character at that point has been in the in the circuit on, on these fighting circuit you know for a long time already, and he's already gotten to the point where he's you know not as excited about getting into a knife fight as he used to be, so. So part of what happens has to do with experience and how good you get and, and when you, you stop working. I mean, um, you, what, I found, what I found is, is as I learned more, uh, I was able to, to construct a scene so it worked better for me. Uh, and, I, and I do a little movie foo. I mean, I do a little trampoline foo in my stuff. Of course. But, yeah. you know, because it looks really cool. But we know the difference between somebody on a wire and somebody who's not. And, and so most of the time when I block out a fight scene, it's one that I can walk through. Or that I feel like I can walk through. Do you and, do that? Oh yeah, yeah. I sometimes block them out. I mean, it's just 
it's it's uh, sometimes it's mentally. I don't necessarily always have to get up and go do it. But if you've done a technique, ten thousand. <laughs> Walking to class times, and like Steve's like, is like I've I've got a scene, guys. Everyone's like, oh, oh I'd love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I used. To, I mean, part of what 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 I what I found when I when I sat down to do these things was that I'm I'm visualizing. I'm a visual person. Um, I grew up with you know the radio blasting and television going on in the background and a book in my hand, so I could I could tie all three of those together. And so part of what happens when I'm when I'm seeing a scene in my head, I'm seeing the scene, and so I know which way he's stepping, and I have to describe it well enough so that a reader can go, oh yeah, he's going to his left, which means he's going to be this way, which means that guy's right punch is going to come there. And so I try and keep all that stuff as accurate as I can. Um, yeah, Sometimes exactly you do what... literally fuzz stuff up. You you don't want people to know how something is done, uh, and if it's if it's going to be any kind of magic, uh, you you, you want to keep it that way. So you're deliberately vague and exactly how that technique went down. Other times I get pretty much into the tail, right punch, right block, step to the beat. You know, put a knee here, put a, you know kick to that, and it's because the martial arts geeks like I am they appreciate that stuff. They go, oh yeah, cool, oh, I can yeah. see that. Yeah, thing. that that was me because yeah. like when I, when I read the, the Man Who Never Missed when I first read, it, I was like, wow, this is this guy's done his research, you know? Because <laughs> because just yeah, in my head I'm stepping through. I'm like, okay, yeah, and you're and and the detail, you know, uh, it comes across. Yeah, and then it, as it went down, it was like, and then when I finally read a thing that said you had martial arts experience, I was like, oh well, then that explains it because you know it. it Describing it to somebody is hard, unless you have that context to put it in. And and so reading it, I was totally like, this guy's got to have some sort of experience. Well, you're supposed to write what you know, but if you don't know it, you can learn it or you can fake it well enough to fool people. Then you got something. I mean, I know a couple of writers who are great. I mean, I, most of what I write is space opera. You know, that's rockets and ray guns and you know all yeah. that kind of stuff. It's a lot of active things. But I know a couple of guys who are really good space opera writers who have no martial arts training at all. I mean, like one guy I know who who you know, was a boxer when he was a kid, and so he extrapolates everything from from what he learned as a boxer and getting punched and doing all that stuff. But but when you read his stuff, it sounds like he knows what he's talking about because he's done the research. He's talk. That's always the thing. You either talk to somebody who knows what they're doing and listen and and be able to write the right word at the right place. You know, the old story is if you want to learn about bridges, go talk to a guy who builds bridges. And at some point in the conversation, he will say something that is absolutely perfect for convincing people that he knows about bridges. And if you put it in the right place in your book, they will think you know about bridges, too, when you don't. I okay, mean, so, so you've written some Star Wars books. So oh, yeah. <laughs> how, what, what do you need to do as far as, like, you know, like, okay, now I have to incorporate the Force. Or do you kind of go like, you know, oh. the Force is over there, and I'm going to kick this guy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it depends. I mean, I created a, a martial arts for for my uh, the first Star Wars novel called Terrascasi, um, which which is is essentially a it's essentially what I do now. It's a slot, but it's 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 a um, it's an art that I made up. And I make up lots of arts in these books. I give them names that are that are usually mean something that people don't realize they mean something. Because I'll, I'll grab the dictionary, foreign dictionary, and I'll say, okay, so what does this word mean if I translate? Well, it translates to steel hands, or it translates to kick ass, or it can't. You know, it's Swahili for you know boot in the groin. I mean, these are these are things that you kind of do when you're a writer to kind of to kind of have fun. And and so what I do when I create an art like that is. You know, you have to go with the continuity. Star Wars is pretty well laid out. They have something called the Holocron, which is essentially a, a, a CD of all the information that they have about the universe uh, that writers need to know. And you get a copy when you start writing, so you don't step on something that's that's wrong. Huh. But 
but yeah, the force is the force. But at the same time, um, and so you have you have to deal with with when you work in someone else's universe, the, you you get usually what they call the Bible, which tells you what you can do and what you can't do, what's allowable, what isn't allowable. Can I kill this guy off? I mean, I wrote Conan the Barbarian stories for for five books, and Conan basically has two solutions to every problem that he comes upon. One is he whips out his sword and cuts it down. Two is he whips out his sword and cuts it down. That's it. That's what Conan does. Conan doesn't really have a lot going for him. You know, this is what he does. And he's been cut so many times in so many books that by the time he's 30, he's one giant keloid. This, he's just huge scar tissue because, because I mean, and you, you can't kill him. You can't cut off his arm. You can't do anything that's going to seriously irreparably damage him because he has to be there for the next book. That's right, his um, massive ripple, rippling fuse. As, right, and then you get Thuboy. That's what I call him, Thuboy. And so you have to start when he's 15 and go until he's in his late 60s because that's the arc of those books. Well, um, what do you think about, uh, you know, back to sort of the, 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 the martial arts aspect of it, as far as, you know, how Conan fights – yeah. Or um or how a particular Jedi fights. I don't know if you've crossed characters from other realms, but I would imagine that you have to pay attention to how you know, something that might not be in the holocron oh, yeah. Yeah. of these are this is a particular way someone fights that you might be a little more aware of than somebody else. As far as I know, there weren't any other serious martial artists uh, writing Star Wars I books see. when I got into it. I mean, there, there may be now. Uh, now they've switched over to Disney, but but when I was doing it, uh, and so it was all it was you know. I mean, they had some serious martial artists in the movies. Yes, uh, eventually, but but what you what you see is it's like you're doing movie foo. You're doing things that look good on screen, and and people aren't going to get too much into that. And when you when you bring the force in, it's a whole other game. But yeah, all that stuff, I mean, those are basically based on samurai movies. You can just look and see that's where Lucas got uh his his you know, it's it's the hidden fortune. Oh yeah. It it's those those are all I mean basically they're 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 samurai movies. The 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 blade, the way it's done, the the moves that they use, it's kendo. It's 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 you know it's it's Aido. Yeah, exactly. And particularly Aido, because that sword is really interesting. Because if you touch anything with it at any angle, it's going <laughs> to cut. It's going to cut you. Yeah. yeah, and there's that whole the whole you know the new Star Wars uh, movies that are coming out. They've come out with a new lightsaber, and you've probably seen all the hoorah about that. Oh yeah, it's a cross piece, you know. And and the that, first reaction, well, wait a second, you know, just lop that sucker off. I mean, you, well, there's material that is that is resistant to that lightsaber. And you, you get into all that. I said they're going to address that. Trust me. Yes. They're going to have somebody who's going to go and explain why that lightsaber is that I am that sure way. they're yeah they're spending they've got know, to hundreds of billions they're going sure, to sure it just generates it. all the wonderful fanboy interest and all of us are fanboys about something um, and and you know I, I'll be the first to admit it you know there's people out there that I was just drool and gaga when I when I bumped into them you know I once I once <laughs> I once had Robert A Heinlein walk under my arm as I was leaning against what? the wall do not say that. Are yeah. you kidding me? He was a little short, ball-headed guy. Uh, it, it's you know, I go back far enough and going to conventions and meeting these writers that are just like, oh man, I just and you just you know, yes, I've written these books, and I've done this stuff, but you know who you are? Yes, I know who I am. Um, over, <laughs> over, yeah, over and over again, it's it, it, science fiction and fantasy, in particular. This a lot of these guys are still alive, and Dan, some of them, you yeah. and I are now one degree away from Heinlein. 
Just, oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah, Heinlein's probably somewhere going, I ran into Stephen. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, I exchanged email, or, well, actually paper letters with some of these writers back in the day because, you know, that's what you did before there was the Internet. And I go back to typewriters, you know, and I, or, or you know, stone chisels and knives and, and – uh, it's so it's, it's kind of fun to to realize that it's, a lot of these people are still around. You can still bump into them in places and talk to them. And and because I've I've, I've been going to these conventions for, for you know thirty five or forty years, you know I bumped into a lot. It's a small it's a it's, it's a pretty small community. Not every science fiction and fantasy writer goes to science fiction and fantasy conventions, but a lot of them do. And so yeah, well yeah I know so and so, and I bumped into him, and you know you know and Stephen King and I. Da, da, da. It, it's always fun to be able to drop those names if you really want to, but at the same time, you know I'm sure your basic mid list you know uh, action adventure guy. And uh, I disagree. Uh, yeah, well <laughs> I, I, I bump into some of these people, and, it, and it's really fun. But at the same time, it's it's um, I mean you do what you do. You you write what you write, and I always write the stuff that martial arts. I was doing martial arts long before I picked up a pen, so that's going to be a natural part of what I write. Uh, there's a handful of us that are quote quote martial arts writers, and we all know each other, and we've all bumped into each other, and we've all talked to each other. Um, so it, well, I know you and Stephen Barnes. Oh yeah, Barnes and I go way back. Uh, in fact, uh, that's why I got into Salat was Barnes. Is it really? Yeah, Barnes says you got to come watch this guy. Okay, sure, you know I'll come watch him. Wow, and Barnes and I were in the same class. In fact, he lived up in this part of the world for probably ten years, um, and he and I went to the same class under the same teacher for you know once or twice a week for ten years. So yeah, we we bump into each other all the time. <laughs> we rattle each other's cages a lot. Yeah, they mistake us for each other. You know, Steve Barnes, Steve Perry. Yeah, you well, get a lot yeah. of that. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> not if they met you, but <laughs> well, the jokers. If you don't know who Stephen Barnes is, he's black, and I'm a white cracker. So that's that's, that's part of the joke. We uh, we only got a few more minutes. Um, yeah, let's let's talk about. So uh, you've got some more stuff in the pipe. I know I read online that you had maybe another couple more Matador novels in the pipeline ish. And mm-hmm. uh, you got anything else coming up? I do. Uh, current book in in progress is called Stemwinder, and it's a an urban fantasy. It's about a guy who's a a blues guitarist player who goes back and forth between Earth and fantasy, the fairy, um, and he's a he's a spy basically because you know Earth knows that fairy exists and vice versa. Not everybody knows, but some people know, and they have their own like federal bureaus of of, of opposition and, and and investigation who who are kind of doing stuff. And so I have a a plot that goes across the line between Earth and Fairy, and this guy is sort of in the middle. He's kind of a reluctant agent. He doesn't really want to be an agent, but he's been pressed into service because he's able to make the transition from, from one realm to another. So that one's probably uh, maybe a month away from being done. Oh. And then if because the, the, the market for the Matador books went away. I mean, the, the, the people at Ace basically told me that <laughs> you know, we're done. And so, you know, you know, find something else. So I, I went in and I wrote some, some different books for them. I wrote a series of books called Cutter's Wars, which have some pretty interesting martial arts in them and some alien martial arts, which is kind of fun. Um, I don't... I'm, I'm not the guy to say whether they're as good as the Matador books or not, but I wouldn't have written them if I could have written more Matador books. That was the choice <laughs> that I had. So 
so those those are out floating around and they're doing okay they get some pretty interesting reactions you know pretty much i get three and a half or four stars from my books and that ranges generally because i get five stars they love it or one star they hate it so they average out to be three um, <laughs> but i do have two two theoretical matador books one of which is called churl which is about the children of the matadors um and the old matadors are there too uh, and and it picks up about twenty or twenty five years after the, the the last Matador book, and then the other one is Siblings of the Shroud, which is the establishment of that particular organization, which sort of follows immediately on the heels of the of the most re- recent book. Um, what was the most recent book? Uh, you, you tend to lose track of these things. Got a lot of them <laughs> around, but. Um, uh, Musashi Flex was was the most recent Matador book that was in print, and this this one picks up some you know few months after that one ends. So those are the two in mind. And what will probably happen is they will go straight to ebooks. Uh, they'll be up on Amazon or or you know Self-publish. electronic markets. Uh, I I consider doing what they call print on demand, which which is you know you go someplace and you print a book up. Generally those are are spendy. You wind up paying trade paper prices for a book and it takes a week to get there because they have to print it and then mail it to you and you got to pay postage and so what i can i can put up on amazon for 6.99 winds up costing you 20 bucks if you get everybody's got a kindle nowadays yeah yeah and so i i, I sort of didn't i mean I, I there are people always who say well you know if you put it out in paper i'll buy it and i tried that a couple of times on these on the print on demands and they don't really sell that well it's and you can understand why if you can download a book onto your kindle or your iPad in a minute and a half, yeah. and have be reading it at midnight if you suddenly feel the urge to do that, <laughs> as opposed to you know waiting for for you know a week or ten days for the book to get printed and delivered to you at at three times the cost. Mm-hmm. It, it sort of doesn't pencil out to do it that way. But they'll be they'll be out there more for completist uh, readers than anything else. I just, I don't figure I'll make much money or much sale in terms of you know, total numbers, but that's okay. I you know sort of feel like I. I Readers want to know what happened to these people. Yeah, so, you should yeah. offer signed copies for those people. You know, the, yeah, it's a little the upcharge charge will be copy. worth it then. Well, what yeah. I do is I have a picture of me standing at, you know, sitting smiling, waving my hand, <laughs> electronic autograph, and email to you that you can beautiful ebook. Or just, or just just like a video clip beforehand, going like, "Hi, this is Steve Perry, and yeah, you're reading my book. Well done." Insert uh, name here, you know. Some, just, someone come out with a way to do that for ebooks. There's actually a, a little program you can get that will let you, if someone comes up to you at a convention and says, "I want to read your," you know, "I'd love to have an autograph." You can actually email an autograph that it actually goes into their ebook, which is kind of senseless, but 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 fun. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, well, yeah, that, that could be, you know, like uh, yeah, you do a thing. It's a video clip, and you say like, "Hi, this is Steve Perry." Uh, this is a personal message for, and then you like put a mug yep. up to your mouth, and then you can just record their name later, like Bob. You know? <laughs> or they can somebody... record their own name. Right. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this is Bob. You know. A convention, want an autograph book, and then you just get a selfie. You know, they they stand in front of you. Somebody takes a picture. You take a picture of them together, and then they walk away with a picture of you, and and they have your ebook, and then you know, it, it fills a certain need. Well, this was a blast. Yeah, yeah this is great time. I always do. It, I talk too much. You have to you have to rein me in. <laughs> oh well, the, we're we're no, the I kings. I was going to suggest. 
We're the kings if, of the of the hour long half hour. So yeah, that's right. Yeah. That, that's what editing it, is for. <laughs> I I think that uh, you know uh, Paul's the producer, but uh, I I would think that he he'd be comfortable with having an open invitation if you ever want to come back and uh, discuss a, a a topic with us. Just to oh yeah, party. sure, it'd be great yeah. fun. Um. Because, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, th- th- this was uh, a thrill and honor for me. I- again, like, I can't believe that when I just randomly emailed you, you, you responded back. It wasn't like, <laughs> yeah, Harlan Elson used to say that same thing. People would call his house and he'd answer the phone. He said, "You answered your own phone." See how the minions are all out at the moment. Yeah, of course I answered <laughs> my own phone. <laughs> we we uh, interviewed uh, a couple of years ago. There was somebody that that had a uh, they put a book out and they had this whole ebook and and stuff like that. But they did a. Um, uh, what what was it, Dan? It was a you know, it was it was like a you know they they read the book you know they had a oh, teleplay an audio book yeah audio book thank you sir yeah. uh, they had like an audio book but they had different voices and one of the voices was Harlan Ellison oh yeah and the guy said like and, uh, and we had Harlan Ellison and I'm like get out <laughs> and I was I was like oh god I I wish I could have some way to get him on the podcast I mean I mean I, as as far as I know he doesn't do martial arts I just know he gets into a lot of fights. Yeah, no. and, no, and uh, he's used to. He's he's mellowed somewhat in in his old age. He's uh, Harlan's one of those writers who's better in person than he is on the page, and that's saying something. Hmm. I used to. Yeah, I've seen him talk a couple of times, and he's just as he's he's razor sharp when he's when he's on uh, on a podium. Uh, and you know, I've always admired his writing. So yeah, I bumped into Harlan a couple of times, and and. Right. Um, I, I guess our link on that was instead of talking about de-escalation, we were just talking about escalation. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Harlan Olsen yeah. here to talk about making a, a, a an argument even bigger. Yes, you know, but but I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm you know one degree away from Harlan Olsen now. This is great. Yeah, so, yeah. that's great. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, we'd love to them when you when you uh, put out your new editions of your book. I'd love to have you back on. Uh, oh yeah, if you're ever out in Texas, you can. Uh, I'd love to have you come down and uh, maybe you know work out or whatever or, or Grand yeah. Rapids for that matter Ooh, I mean yeah. you know you, we can hang with Chuck and Don and yeah. some of the guys up here oh yeah you yeah, haven't cool. seen Chuck in a while the last, the last, he, he made a knife for me actually he yeah. made a couple knives for me and, and uh, really nice guy Yeah. now do you know yeah. Buzz Smith I think he's in Michigan oh, yeah, as well yep. yeah, he's, he's, one, of, say it's, he's it's, one of that it's, crew yeah it's a, it's a small it's a small community I mean people mm-hmm. tend to know each other um I think martial arts in general is a small community. I used to think there were lots of people doing martial arts, and I, I started doing some research on the numbers for an article one time. And the last time I looked, there's maybe 6 million people in this country who do martial arts, and that's if you count uh, judo and boxing. Oh. Of course, I count judo because I think it really is. Right. And, and boxing is, is a martial art. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's not really a lot of people. When you stop no. and think about it, and you guys have been doing this long enough to know about the white belt syndrome, where people come in, work out for three months, and then quit, which is how you make your money if you're an instructor trying to make money is on white belts, mm-hmm. because the, the, this is this huge turnover. Uh, every rank you go up, you lose people, and then past a certain point, you don't lose any of them anymore. Yeah. They just stay with you until you kick them out or or they die. Um, it's, I mean, I always thought you know that there was a market for martial arts stuff and. Uh, there is. I mean, I would that I was the guy who who uh, who wrote some of these martial arts books that were nobody ever heard of. Did you ever see the ninja books back in the late seventies? I think uh, they were mainstream novels, and at that point, most people didn't know, you know didn't know who a ninja was. If, right. if you had never gone to a ninja movie or you didn't know anything about martial arts, this was a revelation to you. When when I did the Clancy books, the 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 
NetForce books, which are near mm-hmm. future, you know, techno thrillers. I got to write everything I wanted to write about Salat. Nobody was looking over my shoulder. As far as I know, <laughs> as far as I know, no one has reached a bigger audience uh, with books in which Salat was the main martial art in there. Um, and you know, people all think Tom Clancy did it. <laughs> <laughs> well, his name—they always slap his name in big print on the cover. Oh yeah, well that's what sells books. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I was perfectly happy. The first of those books that I wrote there—I mean, my name wasn't on the cover at all. Hmm. And the only reason it got on the cover was that somebody there was a lawsuit, and oh. somebody sued somebody because they said this guy didn't write this book; he's dead. And and so they said, oh yeah, right. So then it became in the universe of, and you know, and you, you got your name. They actually stuck my name on the cover. Which Probably some Salat guy said, like this guy. I've never seen this guy at any seminar. He doesn't know anything about Salat. <laughs> well, the thing that's so much fun is that I. It, this is the joy about being a writer. Every once in a while, you'll get a note from somebody, or somebody will will say something to you. It's like, okay, I read your book, and. I got into this because I really enjoy what you wrote, and now I'm doing this. This um, I'm a Salat guy, and it's because I read your book. I'm like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Oh, that's cool. I mean, what you want to hear is, yeah, your book is going to change history and society, and they'll put statues of you up well, and, sure, and all that. But but you don't hear that a lot. <laughs> but you every once in a while, you go, you know, I couldn't put the book down. You, you sob, you, you wrote this book, and I was up to three o'clock in the morning reading it. Good. Good. That's what, you, what I wanted you what, to do. What's yep. the saying? Worry about the pennies and the dollars worry about themselves. Yes, exactly. So, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Well, <clears throat> fantastic. Steve, thank you for all your thank fantastic you work. I had thank, a great time. Thanks thank for taking the time. Yeah. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, right, we we'll will. What's that? We'll ride again. We'll ride again, exactly. Right. Uh, anyway, uh, I hope you guys all enjoyed the interview, uh, and we will talk to you all again very soon. Thanks for listening to another episode of Karate Cafe. You can join the conversation by emailing us at karatecafe at gmail.com. Call our comment line at 469-844-5791 or log into the forum at karatecafe.com. Remember, you can support the show by visiting our sponsor, piranagear.com, or shopping at Amazon through our link, karatecafe.com slash Amazon or donate at karatecafe.com. I'm Steve Henderson, proud supporter and voice talent for Karate Cafe. If you or someone you know needs an effective voice for a film, television, radio, or new media web project, contact me at stevehendersonvoiceovers at gmail.com or call me at 404-314-8400. Once again, thanks for listening to Karate Cafe. Karate Cafe.